Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We do praise you for the great things that you have been uh, teaching us, Father. I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and that we would be smart enough to understand the things that you have spoken to us. Uh, Father, uh, uh, we love you so much, Father, and uh, we want our lives to have meaning and value. And uh, it's sad to read through the chapters of the Bible and see so many lives that had no value and ended in defeat. Uh, Father, uh, I pray that you would just work in us here tonight to do a special work so that you would change us and mold us, Father, so that we would have a purpose, a place in this world. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're in First Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11, and we've been kind of going through the life of Solomon. And in the life of Solomon, we're seeing who is supposedly the wisest man in the world, and as he ended up doing some of the stupidest things. And we talked about how he had a path that was cut out for him, and he put so much resistance, so many barriers in his way, and he ended up stumbling and falling away. And I don't know how you can end up having the blessings of the Lord working for you and have it turning into the anger of the Lord against you. But that was Solomon's lot. He, he ended up having God coming against him. And we're going to watch as his father David was a great king and made many, many mistakes, and yet he's always deemed to be a faithful man, King David, even in all of his errors. And yet Solomon, with all of his wisdom, is going to have the kingdom to be divided and to be destroyed. You're going to watch Israel go through a civil war. You're going to watch a split, a schism that's going to go into the country that is going to exist for, oh, another uh, 400 years or so, where it's going to be the north and the south. And it's not going to be divided, and there's going to be war between the north and the south. There's going to be hatred between the north and the south. And really, till both countries are annihilated, you're going to watch, really, when they come back together, there's going to be a unity to some degree. But even during when Jesus walked the earth, there was a division. They were there saying, you're one of those Galileans. We can tell you by your accent. And the region of Galilee was up to the north, the northern part. Nazareth turns around and... uh, was it Philip who said, what good thing could come from Nazareth? Like, that's up north. You know, we hate the northerners. And you still see that the, the bitterness happening between the two. And it's really coming from Solomon and Solomon's inability to take his knowledge and to transfer it into a productive kingdom. We watched, uh, and just for refresher, we can start with chapter 11, verse 1. We got through eight verses of it last week. But it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, and this was his downfall, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. So he had his first wife was uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, and that was pretty much his main wife. But there was also, along with that daughter of Pharaoh, a Moabite, the Moabite women, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the uh, Sidonian, and the Hittite women. And from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, quote, 
You shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away from uh, after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. And it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, little g, not the true God, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had uh, been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the um, detestable idol of the Ammonites, and Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully. Isn't that interesting? So I guess he did. He said he must have worshipped God to some degree, but he didn't worship him fully. He didn't, he didn't go in the direction that he knew that he should. He was a partial, half in the world, half not. I guess, you know, he made his sacrifices to the Lord, I'm sure. He probably kept Jehovah around for a good trinket. But he didn't follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. And then Solomon built uh, a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. In verse 9, that's where we ended last week, it says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon. And that's so sad. Because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him not once but twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom but I will give only one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God's coming up to Solomon and he's telling him, and he's going to tell him point blank, he says, I've had it with you. I'm ripping apart the kingdom. It's not going to stand. You're, you're going to you know, birth, if you would, a divided kingdom from here on out because of your stubbornness, because you didn't listen to me. God's angry. God always seems to get angry when we who know the voice of the Lord refuse to walk in it. That's when somebody is ripe for judgment. When you want to have church discipline, right, which there's a place for, we'd have to go up as a church and rebuke somebody, kick them out of church. You don't ever go up and kick people out of church unless they have a, a, a knowledge of what the right and wrong is. I would even make it very clear so that if, if 
if, if I would want someone to tell me that they knew what right and wrong is. I wouldn't want to say that you should know what right and wrong is because what I assume people should know, they don't know. And there is genuine ignorance. And if somebody's just a heathen, a sinner, an adulterer, they come through the doors, they're always welcome in our church. But when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, now you're given a set of responsibilities as a Christian. When you, when you acknowledge that what right and wrong is, you come up to me and say, Pastor Dave, God told me I'm never to smoke pot again. So you could be sitting here smoking pot every day. I don't care. But now if, if you tell me that God has now convicted you of that sin, and I'm watching you then turn around and continue to do that, I therefore have to take action against it. Knowledge equals accountability. So you can be, you know, Johnny Podhead comes walking in. They're always welcome here. We want them to be here. I can't tell whether or not they have that conviction, but as they stand up for Christ and as they're going to tell me out of their own lips, now someone's lined themselves up for a spanking. And if we're going to be a church, you need to stand up and say such things. And it's the same thing with Solomon here. He, God said, I told you once, I told you twice. There's, there's the laws written. You're supposed to have certain precepts and understandings. You're the wisest man in the world, Solomon. What are you going to do? Tell me that you didn't know? I didn't know, God. I didn't know I was not supposed to have a thousand wives. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be buying chariots from Egypt. I didn't know I was supposed to. God's like, I'm not buying that. There's a time when God buys ignorance as an excuse. It's, it's, there's wiggle room in there if you want to play dumb. But for those of us who are believers and those of us who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, tells us in Hebrew, do not harden your hearts and you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. When God comes and he starts knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, this is sin, I want you to get rid of it. You really don't have too many options. Either you're going to start working with God or you're going to start fighting God. And at this point, Solomon is now starting to say, I don't care. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't care. I know I'm not supposed to worship idols. Gee, uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, there, you know, worship the Lord thy God, number one. Worship number, you know, rule number two. There are no other uh, idols. Gee, you just got to go to two, okay, Solomon? One, two. You're blowing it. And here you are. You're making a mockery of the very God that puts you into place, the very God that gave you the wisdom. And for us as believers, we should say, God, you died for me. You set me free. You, you poured out your blood for me. I get to go to heaven because of the great things that you've done. I, I'm not in a position anywhere in the formula to say, God, I don't particularly think you're very smart about telling me not to be doing this or you want me to do that i don't want to do that and it's a tough tough line but that's where we're at and then the anger of the lord comes against us and then you can look at this and say well was solomon saved and blah 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 and what a terrible place to be i don't want people to look at me and say well gee was dave ever really saved i want people to look and say well dave is a christian dave stood up for the lord he always was there he was uncompromising and, and doing everything he could for the lord that's our our desire and solomon's this example of somebody that's just being ripped away and and i i find that word it's going to be torn from you i think god shows him a little mercy and, and even god says i i don't want to do it in your time i'm going to have your son do it do you hear that you hear god kind of sitting down there saying Stephen, I, I don't want to spank you. You can't be this dumb, Solomon. I love you. And I made a promise to your father, and for the sake of your father, 
but he's tearing away the tear. You take a piece of cloth and you're going to shred it. You're going to rip it. You hear the, it's a, the word tear to me, you know, it's not a separation. It's not a division. It's not a cutting. It's a tearing. It's a ripping, a pulling. And when we, as Christians, we fall into sin, it's a tearing. It's a ripping of God's heart, of our heart. And and it's an agonizing process to to rebel against the, the word of God. When God's spirit comes into our life, it convicts us of a sin. And we feel that sin and it's tearing, it's ripping, it's pulling. It's not a cut, it's not, a, it's not an incision, it's not a, a scalpel that's ripping through a cloth with precision. It's jagged, it's tearing, it's pulling, and it's ugly, and we don't have answers for it, and we hate every minute of it. And you kind of get the feeling God's saying, I'm tearing, I'm going to tear it apart. I'm going to rip apart the kingdom. And God's saying, this breaks my heart more than anything. And sometimes I, I feel that, you know, if I'm resisting the Lord, I feel that tear. It's painful. And God's like, I hate it too, Dave. Knock it off. Trust me. Follow my word. Be obedient to where I'm going. And so the, the call is, he says, I'm going to tear away the kingdom. And he's even saying some mercy. But I'm, going to, I'm going to do it, you know, for the sake of my father. Uh, your father, David, I, I want to wait a little bit. Because I still love, I still care. And it's amazing. Now you're going to watch three uh, enemies of Solomon start to sprout up. And as we fall into sin and we allow sin into our lives, it allows the enemy to pop up and to all of a sudden blossom. David worked hard to quench, to destroy every single enemy. Solomon had the, the son of peace, shalom, could just kick back and relax. And we read last week that God gave him peace on every side, not an enemy. And I think God, he opens up doors for us. He says, you've got it made in the shade. You want to walk in sin? All of a sudden, pop, 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 like little weeds in the garden. They just come popping up and they're all over the place because we let our guard down. We quit pursuing the things of the Lord. And all of a sudden, Solomon is going to have some problems that are going to come at him. He says, 14, he says, the Lord raised up. Who did? The Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon. This guy, Hadad, the Edomite. And we'll read the history of it. For he was of the royal line of Edom. So he's some young prince. And Edom was the country just off to the side of uh, Israel. Verse 15. For it came about when David was in Edom. So this is some of David's dealings. And Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain and had struck down every male in Edom. So David had a great victory there and he killed everyone, slaughtered them all. For Joab and all Israel stayed there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. And, he, and, and Hadad fled to Egypt, uh, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, while Hadad was a young boy. And they arose from Midian and came to Paran. And they took uh, and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt who gave him a house and assigned him food and gave him land. So Egypt doesn't care about the problems of uh, Israel, says, hey, we'll take care of you, you're a prince. says, now Hadad found great favor before Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tephanes of the queen. So Pharaoh... 
in Tephanes, right? Pharaoh would have a daughter, and Pharaoh and Tephanes' daughter was married to Solomon, right? But now this guy is going to get the sister of the queen up a family ladder, if you would. And the sister of Tephanes bore his son Cherubath, Chenubath, whom Tephanes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Chenubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. And, while, and when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab, the commander of the army, so here the prince is rising up again, and he's finding out that David's dead, and that the, the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Send me away that I may go to my own country. And then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me that, behold, you are seeking to go to your own country? And he answered, he says, Nothing. You've been a good father to me. Nevertheless, you must surely let me go because he's got revenge on his mind. And so now it goes to another guy. It says, uh, uh, verse 23, God also raised up another adversary to him, Razan, uh, the son of Elidad, who uh, had fled from his lord, uh, Hadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men to himself and became a leader of a marauding band. That's what we would call terrorists, right? Guys who just run around and, you know, attack you at will, but they don't have a real army to stand up to fight. So there's this other guy, another guy, Razan, and uh, after David slew them of Zobah. So more people from David that uh, are going to rise back up and come back in to attack his son. And it says, and they went to Damascus and stayed there, and he reigned in Damascus, just outside the border of Israel. So he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, along with the evil that Hadad did. And he, abandoned, uh, he, he abhorred, sorry, Israel, and he reigned over Aram. So two more problems, you know, come in and they're going to, like a disease, start attacking Solomon. And all of a sudden, Solomon's going to have a couple problems because Solomon was not seeking the Lord. And God, God is raising these men up to attack Solomon. And then we get to the third guy, which is going to be the problem, which is really going to be what God's going to be behind. But good old Jeroboam. So Jeroboam comes into the scene, verse 26. Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerdera, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zariah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Uh, it doesn't say that, and I don't think it would be Zariah, the sister of uh, David, who had all the other Zariahs, but it's probably just another Zariah. Verse 27, now this was the reason why he rebelled against the king. So this guy, Jeroboam, he was going to rebel against the king because Solomon built the Milo. And he closed up the breach of the city, his father David. So we're going to watch this guy. He's going to sit down there and he's going to see that the Milo was built. And we talked about this last week because the Milo was this big military tower. And he's turning Jerusalem, which was a nice, peaceful, happy city. He's got to, uh, Solomon's going to start putting these fortifications in there. And he's going to start building walls. And Jeroboam is looking at this and he goes, this just isn't right. It's not cool. You know, this is God's city. God's built it. 
And Solomon's taken over. He's building these fortifications. And Jerusalem looks like a city for war. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel welcome here anymore. I go into town now and there's guards that are, you know, frisking me at the door. Everyone's hustling me and looking at me. And Jeroboam's saying, this just isn't right. It's not God. And he, he couldn't stand the fact that Solomon built the Milo. And it's an interesting chain of events, verse 28. It says, now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So Solomon's going to look at this guy, and he, I guess Solomon could, could judge a man looking at him. He could see that this guy was a hard worker. You look at Jeroboam and you say, this is a guy that can go places. This is a guy that has leadership exuding from him. He could just look at Jeroboam and say, Jeroboam, I like you. You're a, a tough worker. You have a good work ethic. You have integrity. You're industrious. You want to sit down and do everything you can to do the right thing. And Jeroboam says, I want the right thing. I, I want people to be able to come and go to God, and I don't want these fortresses. And Solomon is going to take him, and he's going to try and capitalize on it and says, here, let me promote you. I want you to, I want you to work for me. Pretty smart, in a sense, to take your skilled men, and he's going to sit down there and be part of this. And so I assume at this point that, that Jeroboam, this guy, the third adversary, is now going to be working with Solomon. Verse 29, And it came about at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem. So he's just out for a walk. That uh, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. So this prophet comes up to him. And now Ahijah had clothed himself in a new cloak. He's got a brand new trench coat on. I don't know. And both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. I'm sure Ahijah was like that, you know. Hey, like you think my new duds. And the prophet comes up and rips it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he will leave one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and they have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and observing my statutes and my ordinances as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life. For the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my, my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give it to you even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over whatever you, you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. And then it will come about if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways. So here's your opportunity. 
and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as the servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an, an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Thus I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. So here's the promise. Jeroboam's walking out in the woods. Doo -doo 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 -doo. This guy comes up, rips his cloak in pieces, and he says, this is what's going to prophecy here. This is what's going to happen in Israel. We're going to take 12, one for each tribe, and you're going to take 10, and the 10 tribes are going to split up to the north. One's going to be left behind. I know, don't you love this math? You go, wait a second, 10 plus 1 is 11, and it's ripping it into 12 pieces. And it always bothered me, but if you do the... You can look over to chapter 12, verse 21. You're going to find that Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin and Judah, aligned themselves. So really it's the two that become one. And at this point in, in, in the history of Israel, you're going to find that the, the Benjamites are going to merge into, become one tribe with the tribe of Judah, become one mega tribe. And then you're going to watch the other ten tribes. So it's always the ten now is going to be dispersed up to the north, and that's always what's going to be deemed uh, uh, Israel. So whenever you're reading the Bible, Israel, from here on out, you're thinking of the northern ten tribes, and Judah, Judea, is going to be the one tribe to the south, and it's the, the king of Judah versus the king of Israel, and they're two separate nations from this point forward with two separate kings. Jeroboam is going to start to be the reign of the king of the north, and then he's going to have successive kings. So you've got to hear about so-and-so was the king of Israel, and then you've got to hear another guy, he's the king of Judah down to the south. And you've got two kings that are kings simultaneously because there's two separate countries that are going on from this point forward until you're going to watch Israel, the northern tribes are going to get eradicated and destroyed by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians are going to come in another hundred years later and destroy and wipe out the tribe of Judah. And then they're all going to come back from Babylon and repopulate the... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the country 70 years later, then there's a period of 400 years until Jesus comes back. So it's kind of a weird sense of history, and that's what you're watching here happening. And you're watching the very core of, of why it was separated, because Solomon and his greed was the reason. And, uh, and I guess that's why, if you listen to Paul, Paul brags a couple times. He goes, hey, I'm one of the good Jews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin says that in Philippians chapter 3, you know, and he also just said that in Romans. He says, I'm, a, I'm an elite Jew. So if you were one of the tribe of Benjamin, that means you weren't the dumb guys that broke off. Those guys are going to really turn apostate while the good, you know, tribe of Benjamin and Judah were the true tribes that stayed with the temple. And so Paul puts a little pride in himself. I'm a Benjamite. I'm not just a Jew. I'm a Benjamite, meaning... Some of the other Jews were all lost and confused, but I'm one of the guys that stayed faithful. I'm of the good family, the good heritage. So Benjamin and, and Judah stay to the south. They're going to work it through to, to become this other nation. And yet, you can't miss the fact that this is God, God who's instituting the tearing. This isn't rebellion on the northern part to start it off. And that, that's kind of a little earth-shaking sometimes. To think that sometimes God's the one in your life. We like to say that everything bad is, is Satan. You know, the devil. The devil made me do that. You know, that's bad. That's Satan. 
And sometimes it's God, God, who's doing the tearing. And he's ripping things apart because he's trying to draw us closer to him. He's trying to sit down and says, I, I, need, I can't tolerate Solomon to just walk in his wickedness and do nothing. There's a crime. There's knowledge. There's accountability. And then there's uh, Solomon turning his back. Solomon, you lined yourself up for a spanking. And the spanking's coming from, it's not the devil. It's from God. And God sometimes is saying, you're lining yourself up for a spanking. And sometimes we've made God angry by our rebellion against him who's trying to talk to us because we know it's the voice of the Lord. But it's our willful disobedience. And when we're willfully disobeying the Lord, it's the Lord who's saying, it's a prophet of the Lord saying, I've got to tear this kingdom apart. I'm tearing you apart. I'm coming against you. I've had it. There's sin in the camp. You're not caring. I've told you twice about it. It's time to do some tearing, some pulling, some ripping. It's not a clean, nice little cut in your life. What is it going to take? It's an ugly passage for us. I don't like to hear this. And I'm sure even uh, Jeroboam saying, hey, this isn't what I had. I'm a good, intelligent, industrious guy. Okay, I- I'm, I'm trying to, to do what's right, and I don't like the Milo stuff. I'm working for King Solomon. I'm the chief man in front of all the you know, slaves or the labor or the forced labor. I'm an industrious man. I know what I'm doing. Prophet comes up and says, you got a role, buddy. You're going to go out. And I think Jeroboam's like, don't do this. And somehow or another Solomon finds out about it. You get to verse 40. And Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. All of a sudden, Solomon said, you're a tough worker. You're my right-hand guy. I put you in charge. But if you want to start coming against me and my pride, then I'm going to kill you. Who does that remind you of? Solomon's now acting a little bit more like Saul. Didn't like David, was threatened by David. So what did he want to do? He wanted to kill David. Instead of Saul saying, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should let Saul or, or David be king. He just said, I'll kill David. And Solomon, isn't this ironic, right? Solomon is going to be the one that is going to be uh, uh, the son of David, and you think he would have learned, but he's going to repeat the sins of Saul. Isn't that a sad cycle? Saul to David to Solomon, and Solomon's now acting like Saul. Isn't that weird? Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. David was of the tribe of Judah. Now, Judah and Benjamin are getting along, right? Do you see how ironic this is really turning out to be, where the Benjamites are fighting against the tribe of Judah? But Solomon now is going to sit down, and I think he's probably going nuts. But Jeroboam arose, and he fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt. And he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So he just takes off and hides and says, I'm not here for rebellion. I know what the prophet told me I'm supposed to be doing, but this is not me. So it says now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and whatever he did in his wisdom, they are, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? I guess they are, but we don't have it. Thus the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. And his son Rehoboam uh, reigned in his place. So you've got now you're going to have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, right? You've got Ray and Jerry. Jerry's got to be the guy that's... Uh, exercised Rehoboam is going to be the one that should take over for his father chapter 12 any questions comments criticisms okay we're ready for chapter 12 
Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So he's going to take over for his dad. He's his son. Now it came about. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and they spoke to Rehoboam saying, Hey, Rehoboam, all the people are going to stand there. Your father made our yoke hard. You built everything. You built your palace. You built the temple. You built this city. You built that city. You built Gezer. You built everything. Hey, lighten up, right? Your father made our yoke hard. Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke with which he put on us, and we will serve you. Can you hear the tone behind that? We are sick and tired of work, 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 work. Your dad, Solomon, had every single thing going his way. He sat up there, had a thousand wives, and he just kept working us to the bone. Can you lighten up and, you know, make this life enjoyable for all of us? Jeroboam, who said, can you see the walls and the palace that you're building? And now Jerusalem is an affront to the average man on the street. And the people are saying, can you just make God accessible to us? And do we have to just sit down there and work so hard to make you even richer? Lighten up. And they're saying, your father made our yoke hard. Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us. And we will serve you. We will put up with this if you're not going to be so whacked out like your dad. Verse 5, and then he said to them, okay, depart for three days and then return to me. So the people departed. And King Rehoboam, the new guy, consulted with the elders uh, and served his father, who who had served his father Solomon. So he's going to go talk to the old guys. And while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer this people? So the young kid's taken over for his dad. He's going to go to his dad's elders. And they spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to this people, actually care about them and serve them and build a kingdom that's what's good for the man on the street. If you, will, if, if you will be a servant to this people today, if you will serve them, grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So it's good advice. Work with these guys. You can sit down and make this kingdom work. Verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And the young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Well, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you shall make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. So you thought dad was tough. I'm real tough. Wherever my, whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So I'm going to play tough with you. You want to come up and try and rebel against me? You thought my dad was tough? I'll show you tough. I'm going to be a mean guy right back at you. 
then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. So they show up just like they said. And the king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. Uh, my fathers disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you as scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat so good old Rehoboam is going to make a classic mistake for one thing he never sought the advice of the Lord which would have been the key thing to do and to say God what would you have me to do to these people at least Solomon, when he was taken over for his father, David, at least said, Lord, I don't know how to come in or come out. I don't know what to do. Help me out. And God says, I like that. I'll answer that. Rehoboam says, no, I'm not going to listen to what wisdom says. I'm going to just turn around, and when I'm confronted with a problem, I'm going to be the peacock and open up my feathers and show how tough I am. And he's going to rule with an iron fist, and he's going to have that napoleon complex that you know thinks just because he's short he has to prove everything to the world and he thinks he's a new guy and he has to go prove everything to the world so he's going to come out swinging and all he's done is he comes out swinging all he's done is he's turned everybody away and we're talking about public opinion we're talking about being able to deal and to manage with other people and it's a golden rule sometimes you can't go up there and just threaten people manipulate people and expect them to work for you I've managed restaurants. I've had my own business. I've had plenty of people work for me. You're never going to be able to get people to work for you and enjoy their job if it's you better do this or else. Good management starts off with respecting the people that work for you, period. You're never going to get anywhere if you ever want to accomplish anything and have a team effort to go anywhere. When people come up and they say, we've got a problem, we're... We're, we're tired, we're frustrated. You've got to be able to hear that, and then you have to be able to motivate people to go forward without coming up with threatening manipulation in order to get someone to do something. Man is going to rebel. They always do. No man is going to sit down and tolerate uh, a, a, an, an oppressive yoke of burden or a task to do without somehow or another being compensated, without some sense of gratitude, without some sense of purpose, without some goal in order to... To, to find that there's an end that's going to justify the temporary suffering that they're going to go through. And I've seen restaurant after restaurant where the manager gets up there, somehow or another the, the guy that's the biggest jerk always seems to get promoted. And he just runs everything with an iron hand and then you get turnover and turnover and turnover and turnover of all the employees. And people sit down and say, I'm not going to put up with this. It's common sense. It's, it's what wisdom would dictate. And I'm learning a few other things in life, but here Solomon, he had his elders. He had people that had been down the road, and he sat down, and the elders said, take it easy on him. Okay, your father was hard on him. We accomplished a lot of stuff. We built the temple. We built this. And if you just sit down there and just said, look, we'll take care of you. We'll lighten your tax load on you a little bit. We'll give you a few more days off. We can sit down there. There's not a whole lot to accomplish here. Can we just enjoy life? And if you're watching a huge paradigm here of what's happening with the man on the street and respecting the man on the street. And governments, 
If they can sit down there and respect the man on the street, they can flourish. If they turn around and oppress the man on the street, they diminish. Churches, if a church can respect the man in the pew and sit down and not vote themselves up to the place of being God and dictating to everybody what they must do in order to obtain their salvation, people are turned off by that. They hate that. Jesus is the one who says, the, 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 the Lord of all shall be servant of all. Jesus who says, look, I'm the head honcho here. I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. I'm, I'm here to sit down and to wash your feet. I'm going to respect the man in the street. Jesus' whole ministry is that the Son of God would die for the sins of man, the scummiest, worst man on the street. Jesus says, I value and I put a place on and, and I can respect that person. And in God's kingdom, it's there to establish and to say, we're not vaulting up some, this is the church and the authority. You will do what the church says or we will kick you out. We will do this unless you give X, Y, Z dollars every single day. You're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And if we kick you out, you're going to be retrobate and apostate and you're going to burn in hell because the leadership of this church says so. Man, it comes from pulpits all across Columbus, Ohio. People, the sheep are beaten, they're whipped and they're tortured in order to sit down and to force to come to church and and, and what you want to be able to have happen is to say, hey, God, I, I'm, I'm tired, I'm broke, I'm hurting. The world has oppressed me. I don't want to come to God and be oppressed. I need to come to God and find liberty and freedom and forgiveness. And it's a simple principle of just understanding the wisdom that comes from above. And, and Rehoboam says, no. Jeroboam says, forget it. We're smart enough and we can figure it out our own. Let's go take it and we're going to rip the kingdom apart. And it's what the Lord wanted because I think Rehoboam is going to be a product of Solomon with Solomon's arrogance and saying that's not the pattern that I have. Verse 29 uh, says, And it came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem. Oh, where well, I was way off, sorry. I'm in chapter 12. That was chapter 11. And uh, where did I leave off? 15. So, yeah, this ties up into a nice neat knot and we can end it. It says uh, 16. And when all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people answered the king saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. So they're saying, Let's rip apart. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So they're saying, Adios, bye-bye. So Israel departed to their tents. But to the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Uh, the king Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced laborers. So this guy was the big taskmaster of Rehoboam. Adoram, this guy's name is. And all Israel stoned him to death. <laughs> so Rehoboam says, hey, you know, uh, Adoram, you go up there and get those guys back. And they said, ah, throw rocks at the guy. They said, we don't want to put up with this. They stoned this guy to death. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. So it's going to be an ugly scene here. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, at least at the writing. And it came about when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over Israel None but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. 
Now, when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So that's our key verse that tells us, says none but, so obviously Benjamin assimilated into the tribe of Judah. And that was 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shema, the man of God, saying, so whoever this uh, Shema guy is, he's just some prophet there, and he's going to go up and speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you must not go up and fight against your relative, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. And at this point, the people, so they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and went their way according to the word of the Lord. So it was getting ready to turn into a huge civil war. And some prophet did his job and went up to the people and said, look, this is the way God wants it. Don't start and slaughter Jew against Jew. Leave it be. And everyone said, fine, we're not in the mood for a fight anyway. They all go home. And uh, as it starts out, it's God's plan, God's design to split it apart, to teach a lesson to say that no kingdom is going to stand. Israel's going to fall. It's going to make lots of mistakes. We can get into that next week. And that's not God's plan where Israel takes it. But it was God's plan to at least cause the separation. And Israel's going to take it to a mistake and cause a problem. But it leads us to our very important point that God is going to come up and systematically rip apart, tear apart things in our lives if we're going to be rebellious against them. I can't say that nice. I can't say that polite. I can't make our gospel to be some cookie, you know, happy little thing that it's all fun and dances all the time. When you walk with the Lord, it's a, it's a heavy burden. He, he comes and he speaks to you. You have no options. It's either you've got to be obedient to the voice of the Lord in your life or you've got to fight the Lord all your days. And trust me, the only thing I can tell you is to say if you work with God, it's a lot easier. It's just a lot easier. And I found that and said, God, this isn't what I would want to do with my life, but if this is where you want me to go, I'm going to go. And I find that if I do that, I'm happier, things go better, and in the end, it all works together. And I go, wow. And I'm sorry, I've tried the other path many times and said, God, I'm not going to go this way. I resist that. I know you're telling me to do things a certain way, but I'm not going to do that. And then what happens is all the weeds start to sprout up in my life. And I go, God, where did these weeds come from? And God says, well, this is, this is what happens. You want to turn your back on me? You want to walk away? You want to pursue the things of the world? Then have the fruits of the world. And, and it's a tough lesson. And we watch this and go, this is coming from Solomon, the wisest man in the world who played the biggest fool. And we watch this and we say, here's Rehoboam who ignored the wisdom of, of elders, counsel, experience, rebelled against its way. And that's the problem with youth. Youth has this desire to rebel against God. There's a whole argument, a subplot to this, if you would, that, that's, that, that's leaving us open to the idea that sometimes we need to trust and rely in 
wisdom and experience and the things we know to be true. And it's a sad commentary when the nation, the world, you ever notice that? That they love and, and they exalt the youth. I think there's a trend in America, you know, that uh, old people are despised. They're dumb and ignorant. And everything, if you watch TV, MTV, I don't know, whatever they got, Nickelodeon at night and Nick Jr. or something. Now they got all these cable shows that are just going right towards, you know, now, you know, if you, it used to be, I guess, you know, if you're old and mature, you'd be respected. Now it's like, you know, then, you know, for a while, I guess it was like if you're 20-something, you're really happening. Now all of a sudden it's like, well, you really got to be 13 to be happening and to be cool nowadays. And pretty soon, what is it going to be? You know, you're really, you know, you got to be 12 or 10 or 9. How low does it go until everybody's gearing? The whole society is saying youth is to be what's, what's admired and, and, and desirous, and, and, and you've got to be able to be young, and that's where it's at is to be young. And everyone now says, let's, let's look at all the marketing and all everything. We want to gain that young dollar. These are people that are taking their dad's money. They're spending it like crazy. And, and the world is looking at this whole market. And all the advertising and everything is just being sucked into this one age group. Like that is the epitome of life. To be a teenager is everything. And then once you're 20, you're spent. Never mind if you're 30, 40, or 50 or something. Gee. Have you noticed that trend? There's, there's a trend now that is, is gearing towards and, and idolizing, and everything is to be, the pinnacle of life is to be the teenager, I guess. Where you'd like to be able to say, to be a teenager, you're still dumb, you're still ignorant, you haven't learned anything, you need to go through experience. And someone who's 80 years old is somebody you want to look to and say, wow, how did you make it, and what can I learn from you? That's the way the world should be. God wants it to be that way where we respect and honor our elders. Jer uh, Rehoboam had that opportunity. He had elders that had been around the block and said, I want to respect that. And what did he do? He said, I want to turn to my peers. I want to turn to the younger generation and say, how do you think we can handle it? And they're going to make the wrong decision. Right? God wants to establish the society. There's a neat thing in, uh, I think it's Isaiah chapter 3. And you almost have these two brothers there coming up and, and, and they're, they're saying, oh, you got a cloak, you rule over us, you be the king. And the guy's going, oh, I don't, just because I got a cloak doesn't mean I want to be the king, you be the king. And it's kind of, I'd like to go through the whole chapter and develop it, but it, I'll spare you. It, it's the subtle argument to say we're people when they don't want to be a king. When people want to, you know, run from authority, it leaves nobody in charge. And then the youth start to take over because the people that should know what to do aren't doing it. And it's the picture of a society that as it turns towards its youth, instead of looking towards the age, it's the sign of the destruction of the times. It's the downfall of our nation is what I'm driving to, is when we want to idolize a teenager, right, who's young and dumb, instead of saying, let's idolize the old and people that are experienced. God bless you if you're a teenager, you know. You've got a lot of fun things ahead of you, and, you know, you're at a happy time. But that's not where we should be learning. That's not what we want to sit down and say, what do these kids say? Let's, let's do all the test markets and say, what does a teenager want? And then we're going to do all of our whole life to satisfy a teenager so we can get all their money 
when we should be saying, what does the age say? What does the senior say? And, and where are they telling us? Because that's wisdom. And if we follow in those paths, we may not make all the money and grab it from all the world, but we'll do what the right thing is. Rehoboam made fatal mistakes because he listened to his friends. He listened to his peers, and he ignored the counsel of, of, of the wisdom of the age. And you go, Solomon, you're wise. You're so wise. You know so much, and you're turning away from it. How can you be so dumb to turn away from all the wisdom that you have and start back into idolatry? And all I can say is, Christian, how can we be so dumb to have the living God dwelling inside of us who's there to teach us all things, the Holy Spirit to fill us full of all wisdom, experience, and knowledge, and we turn around and say, I'll pursue my flesh and listen to the desires of my flesh. And our call, our mandate is to say, Lord, I've got... God, the eternal old-timer living inside of me. He's been around the block generation after generation after generation after generation. He's seen it all. When the Holy Spirit comes up and he's saying, hey, I, I, I'm talking to you. I, I see a pitfall the size of Texas you're getting ready to fall into. Can you turn to the right, turn to the left, and, and, and not do this? And we sit down and says, well, you just don't understand, God. There's so much fun. There's so much desire. There's so many things I'm living for. I'm going to go pursue that. And we crash and we burn and we come up with nothing. And there's, there's us, a desire to sit down and to say, Lord, I want to pursue you. And I can't think of a clearer picture where God is just showing somebody to say, you had an opportunity and you're up there bragging. You're being tough. You're being this tough guy, macho thing saying, man, my dad was tough. I'm going to be real tough. clear picture of it next week we'll get into even Jeroboam makes some of the biggest stupidest mistakes and we're going to next week get into the making of an idol and why people follow idols because he's going to do some things but we'll leave it at that questions comments criticisms can we get out of here Nick at night time <laughs> no I don't know we don't have cable. <laughs> Insights, revelations. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that uh, your wisdom would reside in us. The Spirit of Christ, Father. The, uh, the Spirit of the Ancient of Days, Father, would come and reside in us, Father, and teach us all things that we would listen to the voice, Father, that dwells inside of us to lead us and guide us to the uh, places that you'd have us to go. Father, I pray that we would never rule in our flesh, that we would never turn our hearts from you, Father, and become the tyrant and oppress people. Father, we need to learn these lessons. Father, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, that, that we'd seek after your face, and that, Father, uh, your spirit would uh, guide us and direct us. Father, if there's anyone here that's been rebelling against your voice, Father, I pray that uh, they would be convicted to the point of repentance. They would let go of the things that they're holding on to and be set free through you. Father, we cherish you. We love you. And in the end, Father, that's all that matters is what we have done for you. Uh, Father, uh, cause this church just to grow and to blossom and that uh, we'd be your uh, uh, plant.
plant that's growing in your garden that we would not be in the weed patch uh, fighting for our life, Father, but walking in that peace and the joy that you've promised us. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.